The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. 1989 was the fall of the Iron Curtain. And uh, for many of us, I grew up in the Cold War era. It was a very significant event. And uh, for many of you who are younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about other than history books. But uh, when the fall of the Iron Curtain came, our greatest oppressor was the Soviet Empire. And uh, I don't know, as a kid, I can remember having to go to bomb shelter drills in New Orleans because uh, the commies were coming and they were going to bomb America and kill us. And so uh, we had to go find a place to hide. How many of you guys went through that? Went through, yeah, there we go. can show your age off by that. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, I, I, when the Iron Curtain came down in 89 and 91, we fast forward a couple of years, there was a guy in our church named Craig Ludrick, and Craig was a, a Russian linguist at Fort Hood. And he came to me one day and said, Gary, there's an organization called Slavic Gospel Association in Wheaton, Illinois, and they are hooking churches in the former Soviet Union up with churches in America, and uh, would you guys like to have a sister church in the former Soviet Union? So we talked to the elders at the time, and they said, sure, why not? And they comprised of us sending a uh, TV VCR and a library to a church we would adopt. Well, as only God would have us, the church we adopted was, was very interested in this relationship, and uh, by God's grace, we contact, were contacted and put in touch with a church in Belyasirkov, Ukraine. Belyasirkov means white church. And uh, that relationship started in 1991. Uh, very quickly, the pastor of that church said, well, we'd like to meet people from our sister church. So Craig volunteered to take a trip over, and we sent him to the former Soviet Union. He was out of the military by then and uh, went there and met those folks. And I said, well, we'd like to meet more folks from our sister church. So... Beginning in 1992, uh, we have journeyed back and forth. Our hearts have been knit together with our sister church. Uh, many of us, how many of you have been to the Ukraine at some point in time in this hour? Raise your hand, keep them high. Yeah, a number of us have been there. And uh, by God's grace, that morphed into a, a close relationship with Pavel, the pastor of our sister church. Uh, they morphed that into a pastor's conference ministry. We have had thousands of pastors, literally thousands of pastors, come to Belyasirkov for conferences and invade the Ukraine from there. And then uh, now we do a children's camp every year. Uh, they've got a camp that we were privileged to help be a part of. We send teams there every summer. If you'd like to be involved in short-term missions, just see Chase Bowers, our missions pastor, and we can accommodate you. All that's to build up to the fact that uh, this morning we're blessed. We have both Craig Ludrick, who was the guy who told us about adopting a sister church, as well as Pavel Marchuk, who is a senior pastor of our sister church. They're here with us this morning. And so would you welcome both Pavel and Craig this morning. I told him in his uh, coat and tie and uh, Craig's black jacket, they look like the Russian mafia coming up here. Yeah. Are you part of the mafia? Yes. <laughs> Christian mafia. There you go. The Christian mafia. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, Pavel, uh, in 1991, we went there, and uh, Pavel was a young man. Actually, I think we've got a picture of that. Uh, he had black hair. I had no hair. I had some hair then, and uh, it evacuated on me. Mine left, and yours turned gray. So uh, that's it. So... Uh, Pavel's a dear, dear brother in Christ as well as a, a friend. We have spent many, many days together, weeks together. And uh, how many times have you been to TBC? Maybe five, six. Maybe five or six? Yeah, good. Well, good to have you back. Good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Tell us a little bit about uh, 
1991, we signed up for the sister church. What have been some of the highlights over the years that you've experienced? They're speaking in tongues up here. Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, before I will tell this, I want to give greeting to you from uh, He's our just going to talk in English the whole time. In Ukraine, yeah. from BD and from my family. And I want to say thank you for prayer for us. And <laughs> now I need to pray. The person, pray. before you go there, who is that person? <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> his his only her. wife. <laughs> uh, when I, uh, one time in uh, uh, sorry. В 90-м году я был на конференции МакАртура, и первый раз я услышал, что есть возможность иметь сестринскую церковь. So one of the pastors told me with the program basically consists of that we would through this sister church relationship we probably get some resources for our church library maybe a few other things like that. Тогда я не понимал как могут развиваться отношения, что Бог может сделать. And at that time I had no idea what what God had in store for us. Но апостол Павел говорит Ефесянам послание Ефесянам, что Бог делает больше, чем мы думаем или о чем мы просим. And uh, it's like the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians that God has done probably more than we imagined or could think of. And that's exactly what God has done through our relationship with Temple Bible Church. Yeah, I thought that the, the extent of our relationship would be that we get a few resources for our church and that would be it. У меня было желание, чтобы церковь выросла и чтобы в то время я занимался поисками места для того, чтобы построить здание. Поэтому для меня важно было я хотел иметь большое здание и церковь, может быть, тысячу человек. At this time back in the early 90s, my my dream was that we could have one large church in the city where I live and I've been trying to find a place uh, some land where we could build a church in our city. Бог сделал больше, чем я думал. But God did more than I imagined. Бог дал нам сестринскую церковь. God gave us a sister church, the Temple Bible Church. И через это Бог поменял все мое мышление, видение. And through this relationship, God really changed my vision and how we were going to do ministry there in the Ukraine. Бог помог нам начинать новые церкви. Мы сейчас имеем пять дочерних церквей в городе. You know, God changed my vision. Instead of one large church, we now have five daughter churches that we've planted in our city. Я думал о том, как построить церковь, здание для нашей церкви, но сейчас все пять наши церкви все пять имеют здания. And я думал иметь одно большое здание. Yeah, my dream was just to have one big building in our city. If we could just get that. Но Бог сделал так, что мы имеем еще пять церквей, и каждая из них имеет. But God did incredibly more than that. Not only do we have our building, but these five daughter churches each have their own building as well. И это в Украине, где люди 
не имеют много ресурсов. Бог просто великий. Через эти отношения В самом начале наших отношений, я думаю, как помочь нашим, мы пригласили друзей из сестринской церкви, мы написали письмо, что вы приехали, мы думали, что это поможет нам, чуть-чуть людям в нашей церкви подрасти. В начале, знаете, в отношениях но Бог повернул это, сделал это так, что э, через нашу церковь мы стали помогать э, сотням, э, может быть, тысячам пасторов на Украине. Э, мы имели конференции с Через наши отношения сотни детей смогли услышать Евангелие в лагере. Много детей из семей, которые не посещают церкви. Это больше, чем мы думали. Бог великий. Я никогда не думал, что наша маленькая церковь в Белой Церкви сможет когда-нибудь посылать миссионеров. Опять через наши отношения Бог поменял наше мышление. Посылаем команды в Татарстан, мы работаем в Татарстане. Бог великий. Он делает больше, чем мы просим, или что, о чем я думаю. Проблемы в Украине начались три месяца назад, когда президент не захотел подписать соглашение об ассоциации с Европой. Но это были небольшие проблемы. Но после того, когда они, люди президента расстреляли людей на площади, После того, на площади независимости, на Майдане, стали собираться люди. Каждое воскресенье около миллиона людей собиралось. 
Они говорили о политике, о том, как можно изменить в стране, что но иногда приходили люди, священники из разных церквей, православной церкви, католической, протестантской церкви, и они молились вместе за Украину. И когда ситуация стала еще сложнее, каждую ночь кто-то из священников или несколько их было на, на Майдане, и они молились. Это картинка, это люди молятся молитвой Отче наш. Я верю, что Бог слышал даже их молитвы. Большинство из этих людей никогда не посещали церкви. Но когда начались проблемы, они стали на колени. Это то, что апостол Павел говорит, что перед именем Иисуса склонится каждый колен. Еще раз. Помнишь, апостол Павел говорит, перед именем Иисуса склонится каждое колено, колено и каждый язык скажет, что Иисус Господь. Сейчас мы имеем много проблем в Украине. Но я верю, что это было начало, когда Бог будет менять людей в Украине. Это как было в начале 90-х, когда люди стали искать Бога. Поэтому я хотел бы просто попросить, продолжайте молиться о нас, чтобы эти люди, которые понимают, что только Бог может защитить, только Бог может помочь, чтобы они искали Бога не только тогда, когда есть опасность, чтобы они просто посвятили жизнь Господу. And you were separated from those that you love and were outside of our country. So, uh, Pavel's uh, attending a conference all next week in California. So, I'd like for us just to pray for him, to intercede for him, for his family, his friends, his flock, a Ukrainian country that many of us have grown to love, uh, that they would be spared of war and everything associated with war, and that God would bring great peace to them, but also revival. That's the thing he's talking about. 
that revival would come to that country as a result of it. So let's bow together. Would you place your hands in this direction as I pray over my brother? Father, thank you for my dear friend. Father, thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for Craig's tender heart for the Ukrainian people. And God, we pray right now that you would uh, use what is bad for your good. We pray that you would take uh, war and the threat of war and bring the peace of Jesus to many in the Ukraine. And Father, many of these folks are bowing physically. I pray that they would bow spiritually. I pray that their hearts would turn to you, that Jesus would reign as king in their lives, and that you would use this threat to bring about great things to your glory. So, Father, we commit our brother to you. I pray protection and safety for his family while he's away from him, for his flock while he's away from him. Thank you, Father, for the spread of the gospel in Belyasirkov. Thank you for those faithful pastors who minister in our daughter churches there. And we just pray blessing over him. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Do you thank these guys for being here once again? Thank you. Thank you. Bless you, brother. Love you. Thank you for your prayers. They've already heard me preach twice. I told them they could slip out after this one to uh, go and visit some and have a little chai, a little tea out there. So they're going to do that. You know, Pavel's been a faithful man for a lot of years, and uh, you saw Craig's sensitive heart to the people of Ukraine. So uh, my prayer is that God would indeed use this for his glory and the spread of the gospel. Amen. Mark chapter 10. Let's open our Bibles. We'll look at uh, Mark's passage. You know, last week we've got Stuart Briscoe. Uh, with his English accent. Now we've got Pavel and Craig up here in Russian, Ukrainian. Uh, you never know what's going to happen at TBC from week to week, do you? But, and, you know, I think that's what makes it great, that God has given us an opportunity in a small town to have a worldwide influence and uh, to him be the glory. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was going out from Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, and a great multitude, a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the side of the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but they kept, he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped him and called him, said, call to him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, arise, he is calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Then we have the triumphal entry. Drop down to verse 6. It says, And they spoke to him just as Jesus told them, and they gave him permission to take the donkey. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garment on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, palm branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after Jesus were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Then verse 12, on the next day when they had departed Bethany, Jesus became hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps it would find, he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not yet the season for figs. And Jesus answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then we have the cleansing of the temple. And then in verse 20, we pick up the fig story again. And it says, And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots, from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered. And Jesus said, Have faith 
in God. Father, as we open the word, as we look at it in a few moments, pray that you teach us. Give us hearts to apply it, eyes to see, in Christ's name. Amen. Jerusalem. We begin Mark chapter 1 with talking about, talking about the journey Jesus was taking on his way to Jerusalem. And now in Mark chapter 11, he enters Jerusalem for the first time. He finally finds his way to Jerusalem. The next week in the life of Christ is going to be filled with a lot of unexpected twists and turns. We have unexpected twists and turns in life. Jesus' life will be filled with unexpected twists and turns in the final week. It's the Passion Week. It's the week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. On the way to Jerusalem, he comes to Jericho. Jericho is a city of the lowest sea level on our planet. It's 800 feet below sea level. It's down close to the Dead Sea as you rise up from the Dead Sea. 850 feet below sea level is a city of Jericho. And as we come to this particular miracle, first of all, it's the last miracle recorded in Mark's Gospel. And secondly, it's the only miracle where the person who's healed is specifically named in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's no other place where anybody who's healed name is given to us in those three Gospels. And so it's a pretty unique healing for a number of reasons, and we'll see why in a second. So Jesus is journeying from Jericho. He's actually left Capernaum, north of the Sea of Galilee. He heads down the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He comes to Jericho, and in Jericho is a man who is begging. He's begging. He wants, he, he, it's his life. Every day he gets up, he finds his way to the side of the road. There's only one road through Jericho that would lead to Jerusalem, and pilgrims would find their way along this roadside. Remember, it's Passover season in Jerusalem, so the road would be filled with people journeying from the regions of the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. So this particular man, this beggar, finds his way to the roadside, which he probably does every day of his life. And when people pass by, he just hopes that a few alms will be placed in the basket that lies before him. Probably more often he receives a blessing or a curse depending on the mood and the desire of the person giving it to him and passing by. All of a sudden there's a buzz in the crowd. I mean, there's a buzz unlike any buzz. It's Passover, so people are excited. It's like a family reunion, and they're all headed towards Jerusalem. But there's a greater buzz because all of a sudden he hears the words, Jesus is coming. Jesus the Nazarene is on his way through Jericho. He stations himself on the side of the road because he has a great desire. He has been trapped in a dungeon of darkness. He has been a prisoner. He has been a prisoner for we don't know how many years, but for a long time. He's lost his sight somewhere along the way. If you look at the end of this passage, it says he wants to regain his sight, so obviously he's seen at some point in time. And so he positioned himself on the side of the road, hoping he would somehow, somehow be in contact with Jesus. As, as the crowd begins to buzz, it's obvious that Jesus is coming by and he must be getting close. And all of a sudden, this man, out of desperation, begins to scream, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you write in your Bibles, underline the word son of David. It's a messianic title. He's saying, Jesus, Messiah. He, he is stating his faith. He's saying, I am one who has faith in you as the Messiah. Jesus, son of David, Jesus, the Messiah, have mercy on me. Jesus, extend mercy. You have the capability. You're the Messiah. You're the son of David. He begins to beg for it. Well, the crowd looks at this discarded man on the side of the road, and they go, shh, be quiet. He didn't want anything to do with you. I mean, if you look at the scriptures, it says at verse 48, and many sternly begin to tell him to be quiet. Shh. He's not here for people like you. 
<clears throat> be quiet. We, we want to hear what he's going to say. He, he is the great teacher. Shh. But the more they shush him, it's like shushing a two-year-old. How many of you have two-year-olds? You tell your two-year-old, be quiet. What do they do? They begin to cry out a little louder, don't they? And that's exactly what this man does. It says, after being warned, he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Desperate people do desperate things at desperate times, and this man is desperate. He's desperate. He begins to scream out. He begins to cry out. He begins to call out even louder. He wants to somehow catch the attention of Jesus. And then the crowd turns to him, and their attitude has changed because they said, man, take courage, rise up, he's calling you to come here. And so he, he throws off his cloak, and he begins to go to, now, this is a blind man. He takes off his coat, he drops it, and, and somehow he's got to find his way through that crowd to Jesus. And I would imagine the crowd parts, they get out of the way, and, and somehow he stumbles into the presence of the Savior. And then Jesus asked him the same question he's just asked the disciples. If you were here last week when Stuart was preaching, if you remember, he taught from the previous passage. And in Mark chapter 10, the same chapter, verse 36, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want to ask you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Remember that teaching last week? And Jesus looked at those two disciples and said, What do you want me to do for you? If you write in your Bibles, once again, underline verse 36, draw an arrow to verse 51, because Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question, what would you have me do for you? What do you want me to do for you? James and John said, Jesus, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Jesus, we want power, we want position, we want prestige. When, when you come in your kingdom, we've sacrificed everything. We, we want to be there. Bartimaeus has his answer too. Bartimaeus says, I want to, I want to see again. I want to be released from this dungeon of darkness. I want to be cast out of this prison that has trapped me for all these years. I want to use my hands for more than touching walls and keeping me upright when I start to fall. Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see again. And Jesus looks at him and says, your faith has made you well. If you look at the last verse there, it says he began to follow Christ. He became a follower of Jesus. We look at those passages, there are some things that we can learn from those passages. First of all, when we look at Bartimaeus, desperate people do desperate things during desperate times. You ever been desperate? You see, when you're desperate, you don't care. You don't care what the people around you think. They can shush you all they want, but you're still going to run to the Savior. You see, when you're in the throes of desperation, you could care less if it's culturally uncouth and if you're not the right person at the right time, if you are one of the poor and powerless that we just sang about, you could care less about what the crowd say. You're going to run face to face with the Savior if you possibly can. Desperate people do desperate things in desperate times. You could care less about the people around you. You're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. We're coming back on Friday from uh, getting infused at MD Anderson, and uh, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and uh, we've come through Cameron and Rogers and Buckholtz, and uh, we're on 36 headed towards Temple. We're going to turn off on 93. There's that new bypass from Heidenheimer. You've got to bypass the great metropolis of Heidenheimer. It's interesting where they put bypasses. But anyway, there's a bypass around Heidenheimer. If you're from there, it's not Heidenheimer, it's Heidenheimer. And we're in the bypass, and we come up the stop sign, and I notice the car in front of us has smoke billowing from it. And so I told Bev, I think that car, I mean, I've got one eye. I can tell it's on fire. I can see that much. 
And so I, I said, let's go, let's go see what we can do. A lady opens the door. She gets out, and uh, she opens the back door. So I assume there must be kids or something else in there, uh, kids or a baby or something. I go running, screaming, do you have anybody else in there, anybody else in there? And uh, she doesn't understand a word of English. I don't speak Spanish, and so we're at an impasse. Uh, we look in the car, there are four bags in there, and I'm grabbing her, Bev is hollering, and, and so I, I started screaming, get away from the car, it's going to explode any minute, thinking if I yelled louder, she might understand me. <laughs> but it's desperate, I mean, it's desperate. All of a sudden you see flames shooting out from under the car, and she's gone to grab bags out of a car, grocery bags. And fortunately, a San Antonio police officer uh, is driving by. He comes in. We get her away. We back our cars out of the way. And I've got great respect for firemen. I always have, but even more so now. Those guys come screeching in, and that thing could explode any second. And they come up there and douse the flames and put it out. You know, when I saw that lady going back to the car, I didn't say, uh, Ma'am, it'd be nice if you didn't run back to your car right now. If I were you, I wouldn't do that. It was a desperate time. Ma'am, don't go back there. We had a desperate time in Ukraine. I told the story last hour, uh, I don't know, a number of years ago. The O'Neills right here actually went and lived in Ukraine for a year. They took a year off of their medical practice and represented us for a year in Ukraine. And I was there teaching. It was a Sunday afternoon, and we were worn out after travel and stuff. And so... Uh, the next thing I know, uh, Mike and Craig are shaking me and said, there's a taxi downstairs to take you. You're supposed to speak in 10 minutes. And so they throw me in a cab by myself in a city of 200,000 people. And uh, the, the, the guy takes off. He's an older man, and he doesn't speak a word of English. I don't speak any Russian at that time. I barely know enough to get by now. And uh, he drives around for about five or ten minutes. He pulls off the side of the road in an area of Belly Circa I've never been to. He turns around and he looks at me and he says, Get out. <laughs> and I, I'm confused now. I know the guy didn't speak English because I've tried to have a conversation with him. And so I just start talking to him. I said, If you just told me to get out of your taxi, I'm not getting out. I have no idea where I am and, and I'm not gone anywhere. I'm staying in this taxi. And he just parked there for a little while. Then he took off. And so we get, we ride around another 10 minutes. And the guy stops the car, pulls on the side of the road, looks at me, and he says, get out. And by this time, I'm half panicked. It's like, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea what I'm going to do. If this guy, I don't know if he's trying to rob me. I, I don't know what the deal is. And I just talk, talk, talk to I'm not getting out of your taxi. If, you just talk, if you're saying get out, I'm not getting out. And, he, you know, we're at an impasse now. So he drives, and we come to a third place where we stop. I kind of recognize where we are. There's a bakery close by that we've been to before. And uh, he looks at me and says, get out. And at this time, a guy comes stumbling up drunk, stumbling up, opens the door. And, uh, and I, I, I just kind of lose my mind. I mean, I have no idea what to do. I, I know I'm in trouble. So I just start, I push the guy. He goes stumbling to the ground, falling over. And I just start screaming, vominos, vominos, vominos to the taxi driver. <laughs> I think just desperate people do desperate things at desperate times, don't they? As I look to my right, and I could see on my right at that time, I look to my right, here comes Mike and Craig with video camera. They had videoed the whole episode right there. So it set me up. So here's, here's what you, you don't mess with the, you don't mess with the pastor. 
I found out Craig was behind the whole thing. Well, Craig, when we travel, Craig is not a hypochondriac, but he doesn't want to get sick in a foreign country. And so we had gone to a place in India together, and uh, Bob Weber, one of our surgeons here, had gone with us, and we're in a leprosurium, and uh, we're ministering to lepers, and we're doing a conference, and we'd watched Bob do a couple of surgeries. And so I said, Bob, I told him this story about Vominos, and I said, I need you to help me. I said, uh, Craig is deathly afraid to get sick. And so we're in this little clinic. And uh, one of the signs of leprosy is, you know, your things contract and you get a little red in the forehead. And I said, uh, and Craig had, he on the plane ride, somehow he had uh, gotten numb in his arm and uh, the way he had sat uh, or against the bulkhead or whatever. And so I need you to help me with Craig. So Bob walks up to Craig on that day and says, uh, man, I don't like the way you look today. I said, uh, I said, is your arm numb at all? <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. It really is. Said, you know, it's one of the first signs of leprosy when your arm gets a little numb. And then he walks up to him, looks at his forehead, and he says, oh, my gosh, your forehead's turning red. Six hours later, he got out of a hospital bed. We told him what the end of that joke was at that point in time. So I still owe Mike down here, but... You don't mess with the pastor. Desperate people do desperate things at desperate times. Hey, Bartimaeus cries out, and he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. He comes a Christ follower. He is a man with no eyesight, but with great insight. Then we meet some people with great desire, but not a lot of dedication. They've got great desire. You, you, you go to uh, the next scenario. It's a triumphal entry, and they have great desire. They desire for one to come who will be the one who bails them out, the one who will care for them, the one who will throw off the yoke of Roman slavery. They, they, they pray for the Messiah to come, and that's what they think is happening. Look at verse 9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who's coming for the kingdom of our father David. You see, what's happening here is they're throwing down palm branches and they're throwing down uh, their garments as a symbol and as a sign to say, we submit to you. You are a king. We bow to you. We pay homage to you. Jesus has moved from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a journey of only 40 miles, but you have to cross the Judean desert, the Judean wilderness. This is what it looks like. And then he comes into Jerusalem and he's hailed as a king. Jesus, son of David, Hosanna, they cry out. Hosanna means save us, save us now. And they see him as the king who's going to throw off the, the, the Roman oppressorship that they have. And, but Jesus has come for a kingdom, but it's a different kind of kingdom. Jesus is not worried about Rome. He's worried about their hearts. Jesus is not concerned about the yoke that they have being under someone else. Jesus is concerned about the yoke of sin that they wear around their necks. You see, when they come, they begin to hail Jesus, they bow to Jesus, they cry out to Jesus. They look at him and they call him Hosanna in the highest. They lay palm branches in front of him. That's why on Palm Sunday we give our kids palm fronds and, and they, do, they, they wave it remembering what Jesus has done on his triumphant entry, but the entry was really not all that triumphant. He's riding on a borrowed donkey. He's already borrowed a kid's lunch to make meals for 5,000. He's going to borrow a tomb from a friend to be buried in within a few short days. Now he borrows a donkey to ride in on, a donkey, his feet dragging. He was not, it didn't look like a king coming because his kingdom was of a different world. It was not of this world. And when Jesus comes and he's worshipped by the masses and they cry out to him, their concern is really over Romans, Rome's rule over them. Jesus come for a different reason. 
He didn't come with military might to overthrow Rome. He came with his body to overthrow sin. When Jesus came, he came with a different goal, with a, with a goal that was greater than a temporal goal. He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin and death. He didn't come to make war with Rome, but to make peace with God for men. He came with a different purpose than they wanted. So they rejected him. Within a week, those cheers would become jeers. Within a week, many of these same people who were standing on the side of the road calling out for him to be their king would call out for Barabbas to be released so that Christ would be crucified. Just like that, they turned. Just like that. And we may pick up stones to throw at them and say, how could they be so fickle? Where is their faith? Where is their dedication? But the reality of it is we struggle with the same thing. One week we walk with our Savior, and the next week we walk in the world. We show up and we hear the word and we grow in the word, but then all of a sudden we find ourselves doing things we're ashamed that we would do, thinking thoughts that we don't believe a godly man or godly woman would ever think. And we're no different from the masses in that way. But in this particular episode, Christ presents himself and they hail him as king of the Jews and the reality of it is he came as king to save the world. And then he, we've got this episode of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Mark uses a technique that he's used three other times in his Gospels. It's like a sandwich technique, if you will. He refer to the fig tree, then you've got a different episode, then he comes back to the fig tree. And he's trying to teach us something about the episode in the middle. So what is he trying to teach us? I mean, when he comes to this fig tree, he's hungry. It's not the season for figs. He looks for something to eat. There's nothing there. He curses the tree. May nobody eat of your fruit. Well, the way a fig tree in Israel works is that there is a, a green fruit that comes out, and then it becomes a mature fruit, and so he's looking for the pagim, P-A-G-G-I-M. It's the, the green fruit that's just come out that is still edible. So the tree gives the appearance of fruit bearing. It's leafy. It gives the appearance of fruit bearing, but there's no fruit on the tree. Jesus goes to the temple. It gives the appearance of fruit bearing. But it's just as barren as the fig tree was. You see, when he comes to the temple, it's filled with people. It's filled with people who are not there to worship. It's filled with people who are there exchanging money and making money at the expense of those who do come with right motives. And you familiar with the scene, Jesus overthrows the money changers. And look at verse 17. Jesus, it is written, Jesus says, this is from quoting Isaiah, My house shall be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. Don't miss the significance there. All nations. But you've made it a robber's den. So, Gary, what's so significant about the all nations? Well, if you look at a diagram of the temple, and here's one up in front of you, uh, the central part of the temple is in the middle with the Holy of Holies and the holy place. The court of the Gentiles was on the external side. This is where foreigners would be invited into worship. That's when the nation of Israel would go to the surrounding nations and tell them about the true God, and then they would come and worship in the court of Gentiles. Well, guess who was in the court of Gentiles? In the court of Gentiles were, were not Gentiles. It was all these money changers and it was all the people making commerce in that day and age. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, we've got a problem here. The problem is everything looks great. There's a lot of religious activity, but there's no fruit bearing. 
specifically where are the foreigners, specifically where are the Gentiles. And so when Jesus clears out the temple, it's not only about commerce, it's also about mission. It's also about the fact that they should be on mission telling who the true and living God is, but they're not going doing it. Worship has become exclusive to them. And so he goes in and he says, this place should be a house of prayer. There should be Gentiles in there. All nations should be in there, but they're not. And he begins to flip over the money changers. And Jesus does not clear the temple of Gentiles. He clears the temple for Gentiles. And this confrontation happens. And Jesus walks the next day and Peter sees the fig tree withered and Jesus says, you have to have faith, Peter. You have to have faith. The church in London called All Nations Church that John Stott pastored for a number of years. That's what the church is to be, a place for all nations. I'm so grateful Pavel was here today. We desire to be a church for all nations. We desire to be a church for all people. Bartimaeus was poor and oppressed. Jesus stopped for him. Church for all nations, a church for all people. We don't want to be a church with abundant activity but little fruit. We sing a song we're going to do in a minute called Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see you. Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. His heart was open. The eyes of his heart were open, and he saw Jesus. Then you've got the masses who desire for him to be king, but they're not dedicated to follow after him. See, when the sledding became tough, they turned against him. And then you've got the temple, the center of life in Israel, where there's a bunch of activity but not a bunch of fruit. You know, when I think about those three scenarios, one with great, no eyesight, but great insight. A group of people who have desire, but no dedication. A place where there was activity, but no fruit. Isn't it interesting that we want to be like blind Bartimaeus? We want to be one who has great insight. And so we pray. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you.